reminded that we cannot deceive the Holy Spirit. And both Ananias and Sapphira paid the ultimate price with their life as God uh, looked at them and uh, he tried to deceive the apostles into thinking that they had actually given more than what they actually had. And remember, the problem was not that they withheld. The problem was that they tried to deceive and make, it think, make people think that they gave more than what they actually had. And uh, Peter reminded them, well, wasn't it not your land? You could have done anything you wanted with it. You didn't have to give any of it if you didn't want to, but when you try to imply that you're doing something that you're not, and then deception takes place. <clears throat> In similar fashion, the Holy Spirit continues the work mightily through the apostles as they did many signs and wonders. This morning I want to look at uh, the, the remainder of chapter 5 and just kind of get a glimpse of what the Holy Spirit is doing and how he is at work. But before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would challenge us, uh, Lord, uh, Lord, to look internally into our own lives and our own hearts to see how we may measure up and to see where we are inviting the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And I ask God that you would just uh, be with my voice and, and the clarity of it, Lord, that it might be your words, your thoughts. And Lord, that you would uh, allow us, Lord, not just to be challenged today, but changed. And Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed and bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Lord, ultimately, Lord, that you would be glorified through all that is said and done. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue in chapter 5, we're going to look, first of all, at verses 12 and following. So if you would follow along as I begin reading verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on the cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large group came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were uh, tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit was working in and through these circumstances that were taking place. And uh, you see the unity that, is, that we've talked about off and on throughout this uh, book of Acts, how they were coming together and they all had all things in common and they tried to take care of the needs of each other. And we say one of the reasons they were able to do that is because they had a unity of heart, a unity of spirit through that was taking place through the, through the Holy Spirit that was working in, in them mightily. But as they had this unity of spirit, they came together and they gathered on Solomon's colonnade and they would meet there and they would gather and they would um, worship and, and so forth. But signs and wonders were being done uh, by the apostles. But this is the interesting thing that stood out to me in this passage, in this first couple of verses. How mightily they believed that God could do something. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've been convinced that God was able to do something? that you truly do believe that God is willing and, to, and wanting to answer your prayer, that God is going to show up and do something miraculously. When's the last time you had that kind of faith? When's the last time you had a, just, a, I mean, just a concrete belief that I, if, if and when I pray, God is going to absolutely do something? I see that in this passage just a little bit, and it's found in verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 14. 
believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers and crowds, both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that, think about this, get this picture in your mind just for a moment. They knew that God was working in and through the apostles. They knew that the Holy Spirit was at work. And so, so much they believed that, that, that the Holy Spirit had the ability to do something, that they would bring the sick out into the streets, and they would put them on cots, they would put them on mats, so that when even the shadow of Peter would walk by, the shadow might touch them, and they might be healed. That's some pretty incredible faith, wouldn't you agree? I mean, think about that. Get that wrapped around in your mind just for a moment. That if I can just get this sick person out there and lay him down, that when Peter comes by, that the shadow might touch him, and through that touching of that shadow, they might be healed. Now, they realized that it wasn't Peter doing the healing, I believe. I believe that they realized that God was working in and through him, that the Holy Spirit was alive and real. But they believed that God was going to do something. When's the last time you had that kind of faith? I don't know that I've ever had the kind of faith that says that if even a shadow could touch. Hmm. That's amazing to me. But look at this in verse 15. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them in cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. In addition to that, A large group came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. I mean, they knew so much that something was happening, that something was going on, that they were, I mean, they're coming from the surrounding towns and villages, bringing them here because God is doing something here. Wouldn't that be awesome if that could be said of us as a church? Hey, you know that church over in Henrietta, God's doing something there. Wouldn't that be cool? All three of you. Yeah. You know? Let's get excited about what God can do. Let's have some faith and let God charge us in what he is able to do in and through us. But here's the deal. When God is at work, opposition will arise. You have to know that. You have to know that when God is at work, Satan doesn't like it. Opposition doesn't like it. So we see this in verse 17 and 18. It says... Then the high priest took action. I mean, we can't be having this, guys. I mean, I mean, think about this. Remember, this is the same story, third and fourth verse, that we've already seen earlier in the book of, uh, of Acts. Is that when God is at work, the high priests don't like it, the chief priests don't like it, the temple police don't like it. I mean, they're going to do whatever they can to shut this down, because God cannot be glorified in all this. We want the glory. So the high priest took action. He and all his colleagues, those who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the city jail. I mean, think about this. Just stop right there for a moment. When God is at work, Satan doesn't like it. There will be opposition when things are going great. And let me just say, God does, or when God is at work, uh, Satan likes to do all kinds of things to hinder his work. I found over the years that, you know, you can have a peace and a unity in a church, and things can go relatively well. I mean, we don't have this family fighting with this family, and that family fighting with this family, and there could be a relatively peace, a relative peace in the, in the body of Christ. But if Satan can't get through to the church members, he usually starts attacking leadership. You ever notice that? Because there's going to be opposition when God is at work. And I praise God that... Things are fairly good. We don't have, we don't have feuds going on. We don't have 
fighting going on. We don't have people, you know, just torqued at one another and just causing discord and chaos. But we better be on our knees asking God to help it maintain that way. See, God is at work. Opposition will arise, and we see that the chief priest doesn't like it. The high priest took action. So they arrested the apostles. On what basis? <laughs> well, God's at work. Do I need another reason? They're getting, the, they're getting all the glory. I mean, God is over here, and everybody's singing God's accolades and what he's doing, and we don't like it because now we're jealous. And you notice jealousy is a wicked thing. And when jealousy sets in, bitterness comes in, and selfishness, and pride. And jealousy can corrupt in a huge way. But God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So even though God is at work, opposition is going to be present. But then God gives the grace and the strength through the opposition we see in verse 19. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple complex and tell the people all about this life. Now, let me back up here just a little bit, back in the beginning part here, verse uh, 13. We saw in verse 12 that signs and wonders are being done. And it was well known in the community that signs and wonders were being done, that God was doing something here. And then there was those group of Christians who would meet on Solomon's colonnade. But verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. You see, there's always that group that's on the outside looking in saying, well, I see what's going on, and I'm excited for you. That's great. That's wonderful. But I don't really want to be part of you. They don't really want to be really in the midst of it all. I mean, they see it. They notice it. They're excited about it, but eh, not me. Some of them didn't want to get in. But then I'll look at verse 20. Go and stand in the temple complex and tell all the people all about this life. In obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. I mean, here they are in jail for what they had done. Now it kind of gives you a little bit of reasoning as to why in verse 13 some of them didn't want to join. Well, wait a minute. If I do that, there may be some repercussions about you know, going all in. But you have to know that when you go all in, God is with you. When you give all, God is there with you. He'll be your strength. He'll be the grace that you need to get through it all. So they went out in obedience and did what God told them to do. And you have to know that God is going to take care of his children. In fact, they proclaimed the truth in obedience, verses 20 and 21. They went out in obedience. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, let me turn there just for a moment. It may be up on the screen. Oops. Verses 1 through 3, it says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and, and was revealed to us that we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What's He saying here? This relationship that we have, we are declaring out loud that it is real. 
We've seen it, we've heard it, we've experienced it, and you need to know about it. See, when the truth of God is in us, we'll want to share it. It's not something that we hide. It's not something that we're ashamed of. It's something that we should be vocal about. Amen? It shouldn't be something that we should hide. And God's word tells us he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So with obedience in their heart, they went out and proclaimed. There's a whole reason that the angel of God stepped in and let them free, so that they could go proclaim what God was doing. And then in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 20, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are the true one that is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and, and eternal life. They had to proclaim what they had been experiencing. You see, what I also find out in life is that you'll never give away what you don't have. It's an amazing thing, as I've said before, that if you were a multimillionaire, you could give away all kinds of money. It'd be fun doing it, right? But when needs are known, you can't give away what you don't have. The same thing works spiritually. You know that all around us, there are people who are going through struggles and trials and temptations and difficult situations, and you have an answer. If you have it, you should share it. If you're not sharing it, I understand why. But the bottom line is, if you've got the answer, give it away. God's Word says we're always supposed to be, given, be able to give an answer to the hope that lies within us, right? We have the hope. These people, because they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, they were willing to go out and to share it. It's all they could do. But notice God's power here. We see this in verses 22 through 25. So verse 22 says, But when the temple police got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported. Now, now get, once again, this is a pretty cool picture in your minds. Just kind of wrap this around your brain just for a minute here. So all these Christians are put in jail. Everybody knows they're in jail, right? There's guards standing outside the jail, protecting all the Christians inside the jail. Verse 23. So we found the jails securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Go figure that one out. I mean, God really does, does have a sense of humor here. I mean, think about this. <laughs> Wait till they get there and there's going to be nobody there. That's going to be, hey, where, where's the cameras, man? Where's the cameras? The guards are there. The doors are locked, but nobody's inside. Where'd they go? God has got to have a sense of humor. Verse 24, As the commander of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them as to what could come of this. I mean, think about it. There's, what's the explanation of this? We know we put them in there. We know we locked them. We put guards in front of them. Where'd they go? They dug a tunnel. No. It was God at work, and he sends an angel. And for what? I mean, is this the first time God has done this? No. Remember, remember the big tomb, the rock that was in front of the tomb? They rolled it away, and whoa, 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 wait, wait, we know we put them in here. How'd this happen? The guards that were standing there. God, God does some pretty amazing things, if you have forgotten. But once again, God is at work, and the opposition doesn't like it. <coughs> Look at verse 25. Someone came and reported to them, Look, 
the men you put in jail are standing in the temple complex and teaching the people. Wait a minute. How'd they get from there to there? Verse 26. Then the commander went with the temple police and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. I mean, here they are. They go out there and they're like, okay, guys, let's do this again. Come on. No force was necessary. The guards didn't have to get their spears up in their face. They just willingly walked in. We did this once. Let's do it again. <clears throat> Verse 27. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's awesome in itself. And are determined to bring this man's blood on us. We forbade you to do this. What are you doing? You filled Jerusalem with this message. Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, they're getting excited about what was going on. They've got the message to share. They're, the word is going out. The opposition doesn't like it. So God, what does he do? He empowers his children once again. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised, us, raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and to forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. He says, listen, we can't do anything but this. Remember, this is a repeat of what happened in chapter 4, verse 19, where he said, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. He says, listen, you can, you can try to shut our mouths, but it ain't going to work. We can't stop. I think in our day and age, some of us need to start. If God is real to us, if God has indeed shown himself to be strong in our lives, if God is on the throne of our hearts, some of us need to start opening our mouths and proclaiming what Jesus has done. I've said it for years, the, the most basic, easiest form of evangelism is simply this, telling someone else what has happened to you. That's it. I don't, I don't see here that all these people went to Jerusalem Baptist Bible College. They didn't go to Jerusalem Theological Seminary. They simply were proclaiming what they, had, what they had observed in the life of Jesus. And they couldn't stop talking about it. Should be no different in our lives. But God begins to empower his children once again. He says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You want the Holy Spirit to work in your life? According to that verse, it comes through obedience. If you're not sensing the Holy Spirit at work, we need to check our obedience. According to that verse. And then there's one more section here that we have to look at. Gamaliel. So when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, 
I mean, think about this. Remember, we looked at this several weeks ago. The Sanhedrin Council, some 70 people, officials of the city, those who had clout, those who had position, those who were Pharisee of the Pharisees, those who knew the law. And Gamaliel dare stand in their presence and order the men to be taken outside for a little while. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take all these Christian people out. Let me talk to you. He said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you are going to do to these men. Not long ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his partisans were dispersed and came to nothing. He said, These guys that stood up to others, they're done, gone, nowhere to be found, disintegrated eaten up, whatever, not here anymore. You might want to think twice about what you want to do to these guys. You, just, just saying. You might want to think twice. Verse 37, After this man, Judas the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a, a following, that man also perished, and all his partisans were scattered. And now I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. So they were persuaded by him. And can I just say that is an incredible, incredible principle to live by right there. There are many people who say, well, God has told me, quote unquote, and then fill in the blank. God said I was supposed to fill in the blank. God told me to do this ministry, fill in the blank. And everyone around is like, uh, no, no. Here's the deal. If it's of man, it's going to fail. It won't last. It can't last. But if it's of God, it will stand the test of time. And God will work in and through that circumstance. Sometimes we need to be careful and be reminded that God is God. And that he is at work. And sometimes we don't know what he's doing. Our job is to obey and trust. Right? So they were persuaded by him. And after, verse 40, they called in the apostles and had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Question. Don't read ahead. Look up here. Let's take a little survey. How many think they listened? <laughs> How many think they did and went ahead and did what God told them to do? Let's see. Verse 41. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, you can keep telling me to shut up, but it ain't going to work. At what point do you think they're going to realize that these Christians, they're just, they're just going to keep sharing? Nothing could shut them up. But here's the amazing thing about this. They counted it joy that they were willing to go through the suffering on behalf of Jesus' name. That to me is a passage that is very convicting. 
we live in a world where we don't want to be too vocal. I mean, we want to be vocal because we're Christians and we're supposed to be. But let's not go overboard by all means. Let's kind of keep it in balance here because everyone's going to think you're kind of a little bit crazy, a little bit strange, a little bit too far on that side if you start saying too much. They couldn't shut him up. They went out and beat him and said, okay, no more. Didn't work. That wouldn't stop him. But the question I have, even for my own life, is what would it take to get us started? You see, if God has indeed impacted our life, if God has done a work in us, and we do have a relationship with him, we should want to be a little bit more vocal about our faith, right? Right? But I find it hard as one of the Christian groups um, saying between the altar and the door. Here at the altar, we make these decisions that we're going to be vocal. We're going to make these decisions that we're going to follow God more wholeheartedly. We make these, con- these commitments that we're going to go out and live the Christian life at the altar. But by the time we get out the back door, that's kind of old news. That was yesterday's commitment. That was last week's commitment. But keeping it real daily. And I think we saw within that verse, the Holy Spirit works when we walk in obedience. If we make up our mind to be obedient, the Holy Spirit will work in and through us. And see, it really does come down to not what we are capable of doing in and of ourselves. Because we can't do anything in and of ourselves, right? We can't. And that's why God says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of God roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing, to show himself strong in him whose heart is perfect towards him or mature towards him. God says, look, I don't need you to be strong. I don't need you to be strong. I need you to be willing to let me work through you. That's what I need. I don't need you to have all the talents and the abilities. Besides that, you can't even control that. First Corinthians 4 says, Who maketh one to differ from another? God, God says, I, I've already made you all different. I don't need you to be her, and I don't need him to be him. I, I need you guys to just let me work through you. Each of us, wherever we're at, Letting God do what he wants to do and what only he can do in and through us. Walking in obedience. But these are some incredible things. When God is at work, there's going to be opposition. And with the opposition is going to come God's strength. Then you're going to walk in obedience and there's going to be more opposition. And God will continue to show himself strong. And then he'll do great things. And people aren't going to like it. You see the cycle? You see it all through chapter 5. You just have to know that when you walk with God, not everyone's going to say thank you for doing that. And it's okay. Because God's in control of the outcome. You have to believe that. Persecution couldn't shut them up. I wonder if it's going to take persecution to get us to open up. We don't like what's going on in the world, do we? But we're going to see it's going to make us open our mouth in days ahead. We're going to have to choose what side we're on. But we have a relationship. We should share that, knowing that God will be with us.